0: Job chapter 1, last week we considered the righteous man, the chosen man of God, in this case Job, and this week we will consider his enemy, and that is the arch enemy of our souls. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, here for this is the word of the Lord. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Since the third chapter of Genesis, mankind has been plunged into a spiritual warfare. And what is at stake? In this warfare is a true and saving knowledge of God. In Genesis chapter 3, man is introduced to his number one enemy, uh, the serpent. The serpent deceived and tempted Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve ate of it. Then she gave the fruit to Adam to eat of it as well. And immediately man fell and sin Entered the world. Then our God summoned Adam, Eve, and the serpent to his courts so that he could render his judgment. He rendered curses on the serpent, then on the woman, and then on Adam. But when he proclaimed curses to the serpent, he was also proclaiming the gospel. That he would put enmity between the serpent and the woman and between his offspring and her offspring. Her offspring will bruise the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise his heel. Uh, that imagery was to illustrate that what the serpent will do to her offspring will not be as bad as the, what the offspring will do to the serpent. Then from that point on in the scriptures... There is no mention of the serpent. There are signs that this serpent was still around. Uh, These signs appear in various ways. They would show up in, in the enemies of God's people. In the symbols of their false religions. And God's people would continually fall into sin and idolatry. Repeating the sin of Adam and Eve. But there is no mention of the serpent or this archenemy of God. Until you get to Job. If you were to consider the books of the Bible in real time. That is in chronological order. The serpent appears in the garden of Eden. He disappears from the scene. Then he is introduced once again in Job. And we will see why. So today we will discover who is this Enemy, what is his purpose, and how powerful is he really? But before we consider this enemy, let us consider the background and the new characters that are introduced. Uh, the scenery of verse 6 opens up as if you walk through a curtain that separates us from another dimension. We walk through this curtain and step into the invisible realm of the angels. Uh, There we are made to witness what happens behind the scenes as we enter into the royal courts of the Most High God. It is from His royal courts that God sovereignly governs and accomplishes His purposes within His divine counsel. Like when God said, let us make man in our image. Or when sinful men united together to build the Tower of Babel. And the Lord said, come, let us Go down and confuse their language. Here we are introduced to new characters in the royal courts of God, with God being the sovereign upon His throne, with His divine council made up of His subjects. Now, the scenery here is uh, metaphorical. It it is using what we call anthropomorphic language. Uh, that is, this is language to communicate. To us, what we can't understand because God does not have a body. God is spirit. So remember, this is metaphorical. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. The word used for the Lord here is the divine name, the I am, Yahweh, which signifies that God is sovereign. And that he is the covenant redeemer. Now, this is important because this takes place before God liberates his people from Egypt. But here he uses the same name in which he reveals himself to Moses. So, here it is saying that he has someone to redeem and that he is faithful to his covenant and can be trusted to fulfill His promises. Now, who are these sons of God who present themselves before Him? And what were they doing in presenting themselves before the Lord? Well, uh, throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, the term sons of God can refer to both men as well as angelic beings. And these angels are also referred to as the mighty or the holy ones. Here we believe these are, in fact, angels as they present themselves before the Lord. Now, the reason why is because angels are God's emissaries who are responsible to do his bidding. So they would have immediate access to God's presence and were expected to appear in his royal courts as his subjects. So these sons of God appear before the Lord either to report to him or to receive their next mission as a servant must report. To his master. And who else is there among them? The enemy of our souls. Who is he? He is the serpent, the tempter, the deceiver that was in the Garden of Eden. But here he goes by another name Satan, or literally translated, the accuser or the adversary. But guess what? Satan is also required to report to God. Because according to Revelation, Satan is also an angel, even though he is a fallen angel. So he's one of them. He's one of the sons of God. He has to appear when the Lord holds court because he also reports to the Lord as a servant. Reports to his master. Some may say to themselves, But God has no fellowship with evil. But this isn't fellowship. This is how the Lord governs his world, and Satan is one of his subjects. So Satan is a subordinate to God, he is under his rule. He's an unwilling subordinate. But he is a subordinate nonetheless. Uh, Too often, I think, we elevate Satan way above his pay grade. We give him too much credit. We attribute to him too much power, which may suggest that he is on equal footing with God. Right? It is Satan versus God who is going to win. But no, that's not how it goes. Because notice this. You know that old saying that was reserved for children or other subordinates who like to talk back. Do not speak unless you're spoken to. Well that is what is going on here. We can easily misread the story of Job as if Satan was leading the conversation with God. Right? But here Satan... Is summoned by God to give a report. So it says, the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Here, Satan is revealed to us as a restless spirit because Satan, much like God, is a spiritual being and unseen. But as we read in the text, We notice two things. First, he is limited. And secondly, he is a deceiver. The first thing to notice about Satan is that he is limited. He is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere the way God is everywhere. He must travel to and fro, up and down. Also notice, he is a deceiver. Even before God as he doesn't give him a full report. He left out some important details. Now, God knew where he went. And he knew what he was doing. We also read in Second Chronicles 16, 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Right? But Satan's answer was only a half-truth. Later in the New Testament, Peter helps us by giving us a hint as to what Satan was doing roaming the earth. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He was going to and fro, walking up and down on the earth, seeking someone to devour or to tempt or to cause to fall away from God. But the question is who? Does he have a specific person in mind? Uh, this is why it is helpful to consider the whole Bible. Right? Whenever we read a text, whether it's in the New Testament or the Old Testament, we should have the whole story from beginning to end in view. It is helpful if we went back to his original purposes in the Garden of Eden. He wanted to deceive man so that they would uh, fall away from God and serve him. But then God would counter his plans with the gospel promise that the offspring of the woman would bruise or better, crush the serpent's head. So, what do you think Satan has been doing all this time? He has been looking for that offspring. He has been trying to oppose God's promises by attacking and tempting the offspring of the woman. Every chosen man that God raises up, Satan goes after. So that his promise of the gospel would not be fulfilled. So that the gospel would not come to fruition. So who does he have his sights on now? Why does he only give a half-truth As his response to God. As if God didn't already know. Well the answer comes in the next point. As we discover Satan's purpose in this book. And in our lives. So secondly Satan's purpose is revealed. After the Lord asks him a famous question. That is often repeated uh, by Christians. The Lord said to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? Again, this can be easily misread. Because it could be read as if Satan was ignorant of who Job was. Uh, but the word to consider here is strictly translated to set one's mind on. So he is asking Satan, have you set your mind on Job? Is that why you're roaming Around the earth. So Satan already had his sights on Job. He already had plans for Job. That's why Satan gave the Lord a half truth for an answer earlier. Because he was roaming around Job. Gnashing his teeth at Job. Waiting for the Lord to set him loose. Thinking to himself. If I can only get my hands on him. This is similar to what Jesus would tell Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But why Job? Who is he? Why is he so important to Satan and to the Lord? Well, first, Job is the Lord's servant, and so he lives to glorify God. Unlike Satan, Job was a willing servant. Uh, This title servant is important because it is used 40 times for Moses. And it was a title used for the prophets as well as the other patriarchs. And when it comes to his suffering, Job would resemble another servant known as the suffering servant. And these servants are all to be viewed as the offspring of the woman. So what the Lord is communicating is that Job is his servant and an offspring of the woman who will foil the plans of Satan. In other words, he is going to bruise the serpent's head. So Satan has invested interest in Job. Look at how the Lord describes Job to Satan. He says, there is none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Now, before you think that God was just admiring Job for all of his righteousness that he achieved. God was not so much focusing on how righteous Job was in and of himself. But God was directing Satan to his redemptive grace. God was taking credit for Job. He was saying to Satan, "Look at Job. I did that. I will keep my promises. Though you caused Adam to fall away, I've redeemed Job. You have turned many away from me, but not Job, because Job is what he is by my grace. I am raising up a promised offspring" A remnant who will defeat you. Job was no longer Satan's slave. He was redeemed by the Lord and now a child of God. Sorry to spoil the ending, but God told us from the beginning that he is going to win this battle. Even when Job seems like he is losing... So God is warning Satan that he will fail because God upholds Job by his grace and that makes Satan upset. Satan despises the grace of God. So here God is issuing the first challenge. God will have the first and last word here. Because in defiance Satan would dispute the truth of what God has just said and issues his own challenge. Listen to his response to God. Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. He is saying that no one follows God for no reason. He is saying that the only reason Job fears God is because of all the benefits and all the perks. He is pretty much accusing God of bribery. He has to bribe people with a good life in order that they might follow him. See, Job is safe. Job is healthy. He has everything a man could want. He follows God when everything is good. But that is just to keep up with appearances. What if his life would take a dramatic turn? Would his piety just fall apart? So he challenges God. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. His godliness will be gone if his good life and possessions are taken from him. Remove his dominion, and he has nothing. So he questions Job's integrity and then challenges God to take away his possessions to prove that Job is only serving himself. Notice how deceptive Satan is. Remember back in the Garden of Eden and how he deceived Eve? He deceived Eve by questioning God's integrity and by questioning His Word. But now it has been reversed. Now he questions man's integrity to God. He is a slanderer. See, Satan is not only a tempter and a deceiver, but he is also known as the accuser of God's people. In Revelation, John writes that he accuses the brothers day and night before God. That is his purpose. He deceives and he accuses. Why? Because he despises God and he despises godliness. And even more so, Satan hates how God shows mercy and grace to sinners who Satan believes is under his control. He hates the fact that God redeems his people even after the fall of which he was the ultimate culprit and intruder. God's grace and redemption spoils Satan's plans. What were his plans? He desired the worship That was reserved only for God. And his plan was to lead God's people astray. To worship him. Instead of their creator. So notice. We have learned so far that Satan cannot be everywhere the way God is everywhere. And we learned that he hates God's grace in the hearts of sinners. Because God's grace is greater than our sins that Satan accuses us of. Think of the vision of Joshua, the high priest, in Zechariah chapter 3, when Joshua was standing before the angel of the Lord, who is the Lord, with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing with him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Now where was Satan? Right before this, he was standing at the right hand of the Lord to accuse Joshua. And what was the Lord's response? The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? The same with Job. See how God defends his people? God is so one with His people that an attack on His people is an attack on Him. Because this is not just about Job's integrity. Remember, this book is not primarily about Job. It is about God and His power to save and redeem His people. So an assault on Job's integrity is an assault on God's integrity. And his word. Satan is not just questioning whether or not Job will fear God in tough times, but he is questioning God's power to save and uphold Job. He is questioning God's truthfulness and faithfulness. It is about God's honor and glory. So, what is at stake here is not just the well being of Job but also the glory of God. What is at stake here is God's redemptive plan. Will God keep his word that he proclaimed in the Garden of Eden? God is concerned with his glory and the good of Job and the good of all his people. He is concerned with redeeming his people from the power of Satan. So in the end, Job's victory is ultimately God's victory. And this battle against Satan is an opportunity for Job to vindicate God. Not just himself. But Job does have a battle on his hands that he is unaware of at this point. So thirdly, let us consider the enemy's power. Satan is powerful. He is more powerful than us. Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air and the God of this world who has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. In one of his most famous hymns, Martin Luther says this of Satan, For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe, his craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. No sinner can withstand Satan one-on-one. We will not win that battle. Let us beware if we think we can challenge Satan on our own. Satan is superhuman. But he is not divine. At the same time, though he is powerful, remember Satan is still a subordinate to God. Satan is just another low-ranking officer who has to report to God. Satan is a creature created by God. Martin Luther was known to battle uh, severe depression. And oftentimes he believed that he was battling Satan himself. And one of his most famous quotes, he reminds us of who Satan really is. He says, the devil is still God's devil. He is on a leash. He is tied to a fence and he cannot attack any of us unless God loosens his chain and gives him permission. And he can only go so far as he is allowed to go. And that is what God does in the case of Job. In response to Satan's challenge, the Lord accepts the challenge. But he gives Satan permission, since God tempts no one. He says, behold, all that he has, all of Job's possessions, all his children, his livestock, his property, is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord to do just that. So God has given Satan permission to touch everything that belongs to Job, But there were limits, he says, but you cannot touch him, his body. So here it shows us that Satan cannot do anything to us without God's permission. So, not only is he not God, not only does he hate God's grace as he is the accuser of God's people, but also he does not have the power to remove God from his throne. And he cannot attack God's people by his own will and at any time he pleases. He must be given permission. See, Satan is a sad creature. He serves the one he hates, and he can only pretend to be free from God's rule. You can say he is just as blind as those whom he blinds. And in the end, God uses Satan to serve his divine and gracious purposes in his plan of redemption. Satan, just like all of God's enemies, is just a tool in God's hands for his own glory and the salvation of his people. And I would also mention that since he is more powerful than us, for you to be redeemed is not left up to you, but God does the redeeming. He is the one who has the power to lift the blinders from your eyes. Because so long as you are in the world and as long as you are unbelieving it is by the power of Satan which you go into that battle unarmed. And you need the grace and the power of Christ by his Holy Spirit to see the truth of the gospel. Because as the story of redemption unfolds, he would continue to go after God's people to tempt, to deceive, and to accuse until the day he met his match. Satan would also have invested interest in the ultimate offspring of the woman named Jesus. Satan only appears on one occasion throughout the Gospels. It was when the Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days notice God is sovereign in leading Jesus into temptation even then and there the first thing Satan attacks was Jesus's identity he says if you are the son of God and he attacks his integrity and whether or not Jesus would keep God's word He offers him what only God can give. All the kingdoms of the world and their glory. In exchange that Jesus would worship him. But Satan would be left defeated by Jesus. Then Satan would seem to disappear into the background. But we can conclude that he was at work tempting Jesus throughout his life and ministry. He would use Herod to try to kill him at his birth. He would use legions of demons. He would use the voices of others, like Peter. He would use one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas, to betray him. He would use Pharisees and scribes, and they would eventually bring Jesus up on false charges, falsely accusing him of blasphemy and treason. Then Satan would use many voices to taunt Jesus at the cross, Again questioning his identity. If you are the son of God. Come down from the cross. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him. The same tempter. The same deceiver. The same accuser. But it was through the cross. That Jesus. The offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. As he purchases forgiveness For his people. And three days later. This would be proven true. When he is raised from the dead. Then he ascends to his throne. Where he now rules and reigns. And now his grace. Reigns in his people. See though he tried. Satan could not stop God. From keeping his promises in the gospel. He couldn't keep God. From highly exalting his son. And bestow on him. The name that is above every name. He was just a tool in God's hands. Now beloved first. We must consider. That this enemy Satan is still around today. And his purposes remain the same. He still uses the voices. Of others. To tempt. And to discourage. We see it today in the media. In politics of our day in Hollywood to continue to accuse God's people. But remember Peter's warning, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and he often disguises himself as an angel of light. He is still trying to oppose God and stop his promises from being fulfilled he already blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they would never come to the knowledge of the truth. But if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and seek to walk in his ways, he has his sights on you. He still goes to and fro on earth seeking to shake us up, to tempt us, to deceive us. He still accuses us, pointing out every blemish and sin, and also falsely accusing of sin. He questions God's power to save. He cannot be saved. Look at him. Take away all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. But, beloved, secondly, also remember who Satan is speaking to. He is challenging the all powerful and sovereign Yahweh, our covenant redeemer. God is the one who saves. We cannot save ourselves. And Satan cannot stop or avert God's plan of redemption. And by His grace, you are what you are. And His grace is not in vain. All He can do is shake you up. But He cannot get in the way of your redemption. But also thirdly, Since he is still trying to turn us away from God, we ought to remember what Peter told his readers, that they are to be sober-minded and watchful. Because as we will see, the book of Job is not here to answer the question, why does the righteous suffer? But rather, this book is calling us to devote ourselves more so to God and to turn away from evil, even as our own worlds are falling apart. This is what we saw in Jesus as he hung on the cross. That when he suffered, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Because God is our ultimate portion in this life. Not the riches or anything we possess. Fourthly, Satan is powerful. But he will never tempt you beyond what you can handle. Uh, Remember, he has limits And God has set those limits. The devil is still God's devil. And if you belong to Christ, you have his spirit working in you. Just as Paul says to the Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Then he directs their minds back to God as God is faithful. Not that you're faithful, but God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So God is to be your strength in the fight against Satan. So yes, Satan is powerful and if we battle him alone, we will be defeated. But we are to remember that we are not alone. If you are in Christ, you already have victory over Satan. In Christ's life, death, and resurrection, Christ defeated Satan and He no longer has power nor dominion over you. That's what is said in our Confession of Faith, chapter 20, section 1. Because we have been joined to Christ so we can say, yes, He is powerful, but not that powerful. Even in the face of our remaining sin, He cannot accuse us Out of heaven. Because we belong to Christ. And even while he is sitting on the throne. He bears the marks of our forgiveness on his hands and feet. He cannot accuse us out of heaven. And his righteousness. Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. So no matter what the accusations are, when Satan accuses us, God says to him, have you considered my servant Christ? He has defeated you and your temptations, and that was for his people. And one day soon, he will say to us, as we have fought a long and hard battle, well done, good and faithful. Servant, enter into the joy of your master. Then God will crush Satan under our feet. And he will be thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. Where he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And all glory be to God. For he will do this. Amen. Amen.